multi-dimensional process will put you in the picture. Whether you want to be there or not. Friday the 13th, Part 3 in Super 3D. Join Jason in the woods on his day, if you dare. Friday the 13th, Part 3 in Super 3D. Rated R. All right, folks, welcome back to Who's Filmography Is It Anyway? Where the points don't matter, but the 3D glasses do. Uh, today, we watched a Friday the 13th Part 3, so you know what that means. Uh, it's Things are going to get wacky, wild, and in your face. Um, as always, I'm your co-host, Josh Bange, and with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Steve Molina. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this very 3D episode of Who's Filmography Is It Anyway? That's right. Uh, this episode is brought to you in 3D. 3D. Now, if you have your glasses, your 3D glasses at home, um, you'll be able to put them on a little bit and you'll be able to interact with us. And the whole episode is going to be in 3D. Yeah. You just, in order to get the full effect of this movie, you need James Cameron to come to your house and truly embed the 3D-ness into your television set. And even when you're wearing your glasses, we, he's going to like... He may be a little forceful, but he may grab your by the grab you by the hair and just push you a little closer to the TV. And if it's still not enough, or your monitor or whatever it is, and he may be he may get a little aggressive. But that's... I am fairly certain that a lot of James Cameron movie ideas were stolen from Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Actually, you I... know, there's the 3D things coming out of and going into the water. So someone on a boat. You know, uh, there's a lot going on. I, I mean, feel like he just saw Jason rise from the water and was like, that is it. I'm going to make the abyss. I think that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's I completely agree. I think if you watch Friday the 13th, part three in 3D and you watch the abyss, um, the similarities are uncanny. I mean, it's. And that woman who died on the raft, he saw that oh, and was like, man, Titanic. I got this all wrong. He's the, got, the, yeah. Friday the 13th got this all wrong. It should be the man who dies on the It raft. should be the man. It has to be the man. He realizes that the woman is too fragile. She's too precious. We need to preserve this. It needs to be the man. Um, I completely agree with you, Stephen. I think this is a really, this is a very eye-opening revelation in the film industry. I think you people are not talking about first, it. You heard it first, guys. No. James Cameron got his ideas from this movie. So, Josh, James Cameron. Tell yes. me. What was the first time you saw this movie? Well, Stephen, I'm glad you asked. Um, <clears throat> per last week, um, a few years ago, uh, I had uh, stumbled upon uh, a the annual AMC Fear Fest, um, which I guess shout out to AMC. I don't know if they're going like, to come after us because it's like I'm not. No, nah, they'll love the shout out. They need the publicity. Great, they really do. Um, AMC Fear Fest. They don't have Breaking Every, Bad anymore. I mean, come on. Uh, they don't Breaking Bad. Mad Men is over, and The Walking Dead is terrible. And so, well, that really, they may not like. That's all right. Well, we can scratch that for the record. I don't give a shit. So, AMC Fear Fest uh, showed their horror movie marathon, and so uh, many, many years ago, I stumbled upon the Friday Thirteenth movies, all out of order, and I watched them all on AMC Fear Fest. And it was wonderful. There was a lot of stuff going on. I will make the note as I would do as I did last time, um, because it's on. It was on basic cable with commercials. 
the much of the violence was edited. Uh, so it was very strange seeing these movies, uh, the way that they were presented when I saw them. Um, nevertheless, there was something about the nostalgic horror of uh, the 80s. It's something that cannot be put into words. Um, it is something that can be put better into words uh, from the documentary um, In Search of Darkness. I don't know if you've heard of it. The 80s documentary. Uh, it's all. It's literally just the 80s. Um, on Shutter. it's on. I don't know what other platforms it's available. It's like four hours long. I've only been watching in snippets, but from what I've seen, it's incredible. Uh, the whole idea of, of campy 80s violent B-movie slashers uh, is very well represented by that documentary. It's, they say a lot more important things than I ever could. Anyway, but uh, with Friday 13th Part 3, I did not watch it in 3D for my first time. Neither did uh, I. It's okay. I saw it on basic cable, uh, and this... Uh, this rewatch was the first time I had seen it since then. So, <laughs> nice. In <laughs> Lots fact, of things. Uh, just I'll spoil my uh, viewing. In fact, I'll spoil the next seven episodes of viewings. This was my first time uh, watching this movie a couple weeks ago. Uh, actually, not even a couple weeks ago. The other day, it was my first time watching it. It's very exciting for me. And I subconsciously knew it was in 3D, but I forgot that it was in 3D when I was watching it. And I made a note, literally, that said, what is with these images of things coming at the screen? Okay, I literally so... made a note of that because I was just like, what is with this? Like, everything I... is like coming at the camera and it's terrible. Um, so I wanted to make a note of that once we really got into it, but really, um... It's funny because the whole idea of 3D as an element, not as an accessory, if that makes sense. Like 3D as an in-your-face. Um, it's a gimmick. Right, gimmick, rather than something that's just an added a bonus. Uh, this is one of those movies that sets the trend for like really campy, outrageous, and ridiculous in-your-face uh, gimmickry i guess um because this is like watching it this time i obviously watched in 2d i didn't did not have my 3d classes uh, so i watched the 2d version and seeing multiple sequences which we'll get into uh that clearly intended to be watched in 3d i was like mm, uh, um, it's gonna be a no from me dog it's gonna be a no from me so you want to get into the production pre-production all that jazz um I would love to get into all of it. Yes. Steve Miner came back. Uh, same Miner director as part two. Yeah. They shot it with uh, relatively the same budget at $2.2 million. Uh, the box office returns were $36.7 million, which uh, is more than part one, uh, part two, I mean. So they got what they wanted. And uh, we were talking about the 3D. The tagline of this, do you know what the tagline is? Um, no, I think it's on the poster that I have right here. I'm it's really tiny. awful. Go on. E experience a new dimension in terror. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of tuna fish. They shot it on the RE vision, and they did the over-under technique, which is why you need the blue and red glasses, because that's what brings it together. It's over and under. Uh, 
they use the same camera as that which was used in Jaws 3D. So it seems that there is a third movie stipulation where it says this needs to be in 3D. I, um, I enjoy that trend. I was going to say there's something about our, our generation, I think, because we're, we're the tail end generation of all this, where these kind of tropes like, oh, like something, something in 3D or part three in 3D, like there's like some kind of gimmickry that goes along with it in terms of like, because 3D was a fad. It was a fad in the 50s. I guess it came back in the 80s, maybe in the 70s, like Grindhouse era. I don't know. That's the uh, kind of like, that's the kind of the genre. I feel like in it's... like the 70s. I think Hitchcock did. Dial in for Murder was actually in 3D. Really? In 1954, yeah. Because I feel like what this did, what this movie did and watching it, and I'll get into my, my thoughts about it, but it's like, like I know what I'm watching is so over the top ridiculous that it's like hard. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to really like, take in as a palpable like actual movie but i get what it's doing let's talk more about the movie at hand so filmed in california closer to the paramount studio because they didn't want uh to ship the film back and forth throughout the country like they did with the previous two uh they shot in the santa uh, clarita valley so that's like way out there for those people who don't know la it's like it's like a rich area way out there there's the whole show with the Drew Barrymore, Santa Clarita Diet. It's pretty good. Um, oh, I've heard that's a good that's a good show. Yeah, it got canceled, which makes me sad. But it was anyway. a, it was really tongue in cheek. Anyway, <laughs> literally, she ate tongue in cheeks. Um, yeah, the house that they used was used also used in Meatballs Two and Bulletproof. But this is um, like a very strange area because apparently the house. Uh, also was known for like the wooded area was known for like porno shoots it was known for satanic gatherings and even some animal sacrifices is that right in real life in real life gee jiminy christmas um let me tell you an even crazier story about this (laughs) about april 2006 i don't know if you're uh looking that up but apparently some drunk kids got lost in the woods and like literally stumbled across the house from Friday the 13th part three. (laughs) And instead of like just going away, they decided, you know what, we're gonna party some more. So they go in the house and uh, continue to drink, but they light a fire in the fireplace. This is a prop set. Mm -hmm. The fireplace is not real. The entire house combusts. Oh, no. Now, it's bad that that happened. But the more tragic thing is the rest of the story. Because one of the people who was who burned down the house decided to brag about it on the internet. Oh, God. <laughs> literally posted, Jason is dead. And someone responded, Obviously, they were going to push him and said, like, you didn't do this. Like, come on. So what does the guy do? He posts a video of the house burning online. No. When was this? This is 2006. No. 2007. It's crazy. Like, you big dumb idiot. That's why I'm saying it's more tragic. His idiocy is just so tragic. Oh, my God. That's outrageous. No, it's funny you mentioned 2006. The trivia note I have up is that 
um, the Royal Independent Movie Theater in Toronto, which closed in 2006, mm-hmm. had owned one of the very few copies of the movie in its original 3D format in which they used uh, they used it to, to screen the film once a year, every Halloween, uh, which I think is a pretty cool... That is um, pretty cool. That's a pretty cool like piece of trivia. Like I guess like if you lived wherever in Toronto where uh, the Royal Independent Movie Theater was, I just um, that they played it. But you were said 2006, and then your story took a beeline, and I I had no idea that any of that happened. It's crazy stuff. That's wild. But there was some crazy stuff that went on set too. Like apparently bees got into the house. Like a beehive got into the house, and they had to halt production for a week because they had to communicate no. the whole thing. Uh, they had, The camera was on a crane because obviously they needed to get to the barn, so it's on a crane. But uh, the track fell, and they had to like completely rebuild 15 to 20 feet of track every now and then. And they may have even broken the camera, but they don't want to prove that. God, no, of course. They had to build a lake because why you couldn't find a place with a lake is beyond me. So and they literally was... had to pump water in every day. It was two inches deep. Uh, oh. two, two feet deep, sorry. Two feet. So that's really funny. So I was going to say, um, that's another, that's one of the top pieces of trivia is that the house, the barn, and the lake were all purpose-built on location. The man-made lake was not properly sealed, and subsequently the water drained into the soil during the first week of filming. Which, good God. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, new Jason in this movie. Yep. Uh, Richard Brooker is the actor. Mm-hmm. A minor wanted someone bigger than in part two. So, this is who they went with. Um, apparently, he was a trapeze artist before he was, uh, he was an actor. Uh-huh. And <laughs> apparently, he was in a circus in London because he was British. And he was trying to get away because he had an affair with the ringleader's wife. <laughs> so, you can't you can't make that stuff up. Just ridiculous. Oh and my god! Obviously, in this movie, um, Jason has a certain new look, a new um, accoutrement, if you would, if you say, you know. The top trivia fact on IMDb is that this is the first of the Friday the Thirteenth films to feature the iconic hockey mask, which has been in every film since. <laughs> yep. Now, do you know the story behind the mask? So it had been, you know, to, to take along to my, my backstory, it's like I had watched these films years ago. Um, a lot of this is like, I had not remembered. So it's a lot of it's coming back to me. So in watching this, I had not realized that it's literally, it was literally integrated into the plot, the hockey mask. I had forgotten that that the hockey mask was part of the plot, and then it later became something that reminded me of the ghost bedsheet in Halloween. So the mask, it was actually purely accidental. The makeup for putting Jason's disfigured face took about six hours every day. Um, but they were going to actually do it. But what happened was, at a certain point, Minor called for a lighting check. And there was no time to apply Jason's makeup. So instead, Marty Sadoff, uh, the 3D effects supervisor, who was a big hockey fan, mm-hmm. casually gave Brooker, Jason, the mask. 
It's amazing. And Miner loved it. That's amazing. So it was like literally an on, it was an on the spot decision to just go with this idea because they, they didn't want to take the time to. Yeah. He looked at the mask and said, it's fabulous. So I'm going to. It's fabulous. Fabulous. So (laughs) I'm going to just let it happen. Well, that's amazing. Because as soon as the the kid, we'll get into it, but as soon as the kid showed up with the mask, I was like, that fucking mask. I was like, I know it. And as soon as he showed up, I had not, like I said, I had not remembered that subplot. So for it to so very easily sneak into like the regular, because in the movie, it's not, it's not like they don't draw attention to it. It's not an iconic moment. It's like you see him donning the mask and he looks in the mirror and he's like, I am me. You know, it's, the kid's playing a prank. He's got the hockey mask on. And I'm like, oh, I know that mask. And then, like, literally, like, five minutes later, it's Jason he's with the mask. It. And he's just wearing it. And it's great because you wouldn't think something like that would stick. And so, based on what you just said, it's great because it Nobody, changed the, the franchise forever. Nobody cared who he was till he put on that mask. <laughs> um, it always comes back to Nolan or Bane or Jesus Christ. Okay, but, keep going. Uh, apparently, the mask vanished for 20 years. Like, the original mask, it vanished. That one with the red checkers on it? The red, yeah, uh... the original well, one. Okay. Apparently, Martin Becker, the special effects coordinator, took it. And he hung it in his uh, workshop window. So it's gotten 20 years of sunlight just spraying at it. Oh, no. And it got so distorted that uh, Becker had to throw it out. Oh, that's horrible. So it's gone forever. Oh, my God. That's absolutely horrible. That's all I got for uh, notes, though. Um, You want to get into these released. The film was released on Friday the 13th. Yes. (laughs) Had to be. I think... That's tradition. All of them have been released on Friday. And Jason is first seen wearing the mask exactly one hour into the film. I'm just rattling off facts. I don't want to, I don't, I, anyone can go on IMDb and check these out. They're actually way more fascinating than anything I can just kind of come up with. Um, yes, let's get into it. Um, so yes. let's remind the good people what the categories are. Well, let's get into the plot, Stephen. First, give them the rundown of the plot. You know, it's, I I don't even remember this one. All right, this so one, a, bu- a, a bunch a, a bunch of drunk f- kids go a bunch of- to a cabin <laughs> and end up getting killed by Jason, who surprise surprise is not dead. And I think my note was literally it starts the same way as part two, replay part one, like replaying the first five minutes of the last film. <laughs> Just letting the entire thing play out because why shoot more footage when we could just... Which which is amazing. (laughs) Which is amazing because so much of that has nothing to do with what anyone's about to watch. So much of this movie is just double dates and couples uh, meeting up and they're like, hey, we're going to go hang out and, and smoke weed and we're going to ever like in this the, movie whatever. literally ends the same way too. a girl in a fucking canoe. I was something from the fucking something no! from the fucking river, uh, lake I, grabs her and she, oh, well, did it happen? Did it not I happen? Wanted to, I don't I wanted, know. So I wanted to save that, but like, Jesus, you can't even just hold back. Um, Yes, let's just dive into it. Um, so anyway, like they, they, the films are the same trend. A bunch of horny teens end up partying together and they get killed by a person. And now it's Jason and now he's got the hockey mask. Um, but yes, you were saying something about categories. Okay, 
let's remind them what the categories are. There's Absolutely. best kill, best chase, best weapon, worst character, and best quote. So Josh, Absolutely. tell me, what is your best kill? Um, all right. So mind you, uh, I was trying to be mindful of, you know, uh, Friday the 13th part three and 3d. I felt like this was an obvious choice, but it was to me, it was the only choice that I could pick was the crushed skull with the eyeball popping out. <laughs> when Clark, when Clark Kent, the, uh, whatever, um, uh, the, the Christopher Reeve, you know, doppelganger. No, I know exactly what you're, uh, you know, he about. goes out and he's got That's his checkered shirt up actually. And he goes out and he's like, what's happening out here? And <laughs> just as, as the hands come out to crush his skull, it clearly turns into a puppet. And <laughs> what? It made, and this, it made me laugh out loud because the skull gets crushed and the eye, it's eye goes directly for the camera. And I said, I'm, I have compl- again, a lot of this is great. For, it's great because a lot of it's still kind of oh new for God, me because dude. a lot of it's coming back. I, I was almost crying. I was like, I can't believe this is a thing. I'm sorry. Can we talk about one moment in this movie? Just that, because you sure. mentioned it. What, because you mentioned the eyeball? Just the bum in the middle of the street holding a fucking eyeball. What was that? What this is that? Eyeball. I feel like the writers, God forbid it's the same writers. Um, I forgot his name. This would be bad for continuity, but fuck these movies in their continuity. There's just so much happening. Crazy. Actually, I think I have his name. It crazy is. Randy or crazy something? Uh, uh, Ralph. Thank you. So, so Crazy I've, Ralph. So I feel like... <laughs> so I like to imagine the showrunners are like, hey, listen, I imagine they're all smoking, right? They're like, hey, listen, all right, so we got Crazy Ralph, part one, it was the part 80s. two. I don't think they were smoking. I think it's cocaine. Uh, whatever it was. Maybe he does a line and he's like, okay. He's like, I got it. He's like, Crazy Ralph... He warns the kids in the first one. All right, we don't see what happens to this guy. Bring him back for the second one. He's like, but what about part three? We already, cru- we already, whatever, strangled him in part two. So what do we do? We have a guy pretending to be dead or he's passed out. And they think he's dead on the side of the road who he's not just a, a bum or a homeless man or whatever. He's a bananas, uh, a- a- insane person who has an eyeball on him who's like you've been warned and i'm like what movie am i watching that was actually the moment it's early on in the film where i was like i don't know where this franchise is going and mind you i had seen these films before where are we right now what is hap- what how does this have anything you, to do with anything in these movies and i realized that the trope of the bad omen I guess it's something that these creators felt that they needed to reiterate that someone needs to give a bad omen to the kids. Has to. Uh, so for my best, to it. To, so for my best kill to get back to the categories. Yes, yes please, best kill, Stephen. Um, I went with Edna, who got killed by her own knitting needle, just because I thought it was funny. Oh, that was great. Uh, um, let's go to best chase. For um, my best chase. I actually went with the fake cop chase because that had me on the edge of my seat more than anything that Jason did. The kids having to eat their marijuana gave me a lot of anxiety. I was not that say. I would ever smoke such a unholy no, thing. Marijuana what? Not every time we do this podcast. Um, of course. But uh, I just that's that was the most anxiety-inducing chase in this entire movie. 
Well, because it's very realistic. It's very realistic. Just a cop chasing you, and you have to like get rid of your stash. Very scary. More scary than Jason coming after you. What's I your com- best chase? I completely agree. Um, I was not. I had not made note of many chases, so I used. Yeah, this one the there scene. were very slim pickings. I used the scene where um, Chris, the woman, used the is- scene from part two. Is is talking about is having the flashback of when she saw the mutated man dragging her through the woods, and there's sequences of her running away from him. And I'm like, I guess this is what I'm gonna go with. It was kind of a half-assed pick, uh, but at the same time, like I just mentioned, like I didn't feel this category was shining in this film. Like it was, there was a lot going on in this movie, and chases were not one of those things. No, um, there were like there weren't many chases in this. A film. lot of characters were sneaking around waiting to build anticipation, a lot of, you know, like a lot of, uh, <laughs> there was a lot of anticipation, but like there weren't many chases. So that's the one I went with. Um, it was an effective scene, but also like, I guess I was like, Hey, I guess this makes sense for this category. Um, but I digress. What was your, uh, the, what was your best weapon for this movie? Um, there was only one choice for this one. Right? There had to be one. I feel like it's the harpoon gun. The spear gun was the one. It that's, had to be. That's the one. Just Jason's aim, impeccable. Um, the, the woman get taken it to the face. <laughs> Hilarious. I love that scene also because it's the it's the very first time that the audience sees Jason with the iconic mask. That's yeah. the scene where she thinks it's the other character. Um, the mask has given him better depth perception. And he looks he's and he's... He's good. He just shoots it like he's James Bond and the arrow comes right for the audience. And then they, again, like Clark Kent with the eyeball crush, it's like they cut to the face and it's just, there's a harpoon through the eye and I'm like, what's happening right now? Um, but nevertheless, I mean, the it's weapon, so you, it, you can't, you can't, you can't beat it. that. Yeah, but that's that's the objective choice. I could not. It was like that. a James Bond moment. You're right. It was um, literally him shooting the camera. He just, he literally looks, he, he faces the camera da, and he shoots da, da. It was amazing. All you needed was blood coming down the screen. It, and it was 3D. Come on, why didn't you go for the blood going down the screen? Yeah. Uh, my my runner-up was a pitchfork because they used it a lot, but it didn't really... Eh, yeah. Not yeah. as iconic, though. Uh, so who is your worst character? Um, so this is going to be very interesting, I think, for you and I, because I feel like these characters were all terrible. I do not think that you have my choice, but go on. These characters were all mostly. T- I I don't think there was a. I really don't think there was no, a single honestly, character I liked. Sorry um, to jump over you, but this to me was the moment. Like this is the movie where I think that they said, you know what, fuck it, we don't need characters. We don't. I completely agree. These characters are literally just here to die. So who gives a shit? They're placeholders. None of the characters were effective. I didn't attach myself to any of them. They were, I can't, I mean, I'm trying to think back. Like, I can't, I literally can't think of anyone who I genuinely liked. Anyway, so, but for my runner-up, was <laughs> for my runner-up, I said, was Shelly, the prankster slash fugly-ass bitch, you know, the one who, um, and it's one of my runner-up lines. I'm clearly not using it because he's a runner-up character because fuck this character a little bit. The, they said they're not going skinny dipping. I'm not. They said they're skinny dipping. I'm not skinny enough. The one who played pranks and kept yeah, faking yeah, yeah. his own death. Terrible Shelley. character. Shelly. Terrible character. Although I felt like the prankster 
um, is the expected answer. And so my answer is a three-way tie of the biker gang. Yeah, that was ridiculous, the biker gang. It was so stupid. The, I was like, what is happening right now? The biker gang introduced a subplot, which I almost fast-forwarded because I said, I don't... It's very rare that a, a very clearly campy horror movie is taking me in a direction where I go... I don't want to watch any of this. And there's characters and they're, they're arguing over snacks. They're in like a deli. And then like, it just, it gets aggressive and they're wearing leather. And then like the one character wants to run over the motorcycle to impress the girl. And I'm like, and then that was one of the 3d moments. And he punches his, he's got chains around his chains and he his punches hand, through yeah. the window window. And I go, who are these, who are these cartoon characters? They were like they were literally cartoon characters. Literally, the way that they're dressed, the way that they act, the way that they speak, and then they all die one by one in the barn. And I'm like, okay, I guess they des- they deserve it. But I'm like, Jesus, they're. It was like the movie was already ridiculous enough, and watching these characters, I'm like, I can't. Where did these characters come from? It feels like they're ripped from a completely different movie. Yeah. Um, that was my choice. It was a three way tie between the biker gang, those three characters. I could not. That's a good one. I uh, for my choice, I went with Harold, the store owner, in the beginning. Oh, good grief. He's he is a was disgusting one of my... human being. <laughs> he's eating he fish. Was... He's eating fish food. He was stealing one of my peanuts runners. from the jar that he still intends to sell. Is drinking heavy alcohol on the toilet. And by the way, when he got off the toilet, he didn't wipe. I was even when he even when he knew that he was safe or like thought he was safe he didn't go back to the toilet he kept walking away and decided to like just what not wipe like what are you doing here um and not to get too grotesque but you heard the beginning of what he was doing in there so you know he needed to wipe it's just it was gross you're you're a horrible human being i am glad you're dead harold because covid would have killed you anyway (laughs) Harold was terrible. So, um, Josh, tell me, what is your worst quote or best quote? Sorry. I mean, best or worst. What's best really worst, the difference? You know. um, it's very interesting. I got a couple of these. Um, I'm not going to go through. Well, I already said that they're, they're going skinny dipping. I'm not skinny enough. Um, there was one where early on they yell, they're, they're going to get the double dates together, or triple dates, whatever they are, and then they yell out. They yell, the van's on fire. It was a reveal of the potheads. I thought it was to be Cheech and Chong. Nevertheless, it was only Tommy Chong, not Cheech. Uh, which will lead, I'll let that be the segue into my, my I'll just lead to the quote, mm-hmm. is uh, Tommy Chong. I don't know this character's name. I completely missed it. Um, <laughs> he says, the one who I forgot to mention, the honorable kill, uh, is thrown into the fuse box. Yeah, the electrocution. <laughs> But what was so ridiculous about that one, and I'm sorry, but like if you noticed when he pulled off the electrical box, there were no wires behind. There was nothing behind it. Like, <laughs> what? 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 Like, what just happened? There's. I, it was literally like in that episode of Community where the fire extinguisher just gets pulled off the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the dean gives like Abed and Troy <laughs> a whole day off. But, <laughs> It's it outrageous. I mean, they literally like as soon as and as soon as I saw that where he he <laughs> kind of laughed out loud. As soon as he saw him and he hoisted him into the fuse box, and then it cuts the the, the lamps in the home and it just start flickering. I started laughing out loud. I was like, "This is outrageous." Um, 
but that character, the Tommy Chong, I don't know his name. He says, um, he says to his him and the girlfriend, he says, um, they talked about something screaming and he says, how come you, uh, they talk about screaming and I go, oh, yeah, cause we were in the bedroom. He says, how come you never scream when we have sex? And this girlfriend says, give me something to scream about. And I said, is this really the best we're going to do? I literally like, I, I shook my head at the line and I said, I think this is all I got. I, I don't. feel like Tommy Wiseau wrote the script. Oh, I really my. do. I, 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 that's I literally that's... would not have been shocked if a character turned to another character and said, so how's your sex life? So you anyway, that, but that's the thing. is like, and I, the and fucking it, lines. I know this is like, we always do our, I, we always, you know, leak our final thoughts early because it's inevitable to talk about how ridiculous all this is, but it's like, that was my whole thing with this movie. And I'm like, these movies are already absurd to begin with, but this is like, you're not even trying. You're making the most outrageous dialogue that a person can come up with. Yeah. Uh, I'll <laughs> give away my best quote. Uh, uh, the quote that I came to was, it's literally almost the exact same thing you were talking about. Cause I was like, you're not even trying. It was, <laughs> The I think there are much what's it called? I think there are much better things you can be doing with your hands. Debbie said oh, it to yeah, her boyfriend. Yeah. I'm like, really, really. We're really going here. And uh, and anything Shelley says, I can I give you a really deep cut. I don't know if you're ever gonna get this reference, but I'm gonna make it anyway. Go ahead. Do you remember Mad TV? Yeah, of course. Uh, one of the characters was like a fat turtle guy. I don't remember his name, but he would like um, say to his daughter, Shelly, couple. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it sounds a little familiar. Hold on. Tiva, uh, Tikva and Shelly, uh, Marvin, Tikva and Shelly. Yeah, that sounds right. Anytime Shelly spoke in my, in the back of my mind, it was that mad TV spit. It was Shelly, couple. <laughs> It was really that, I couldn't give him the spot because it was too obvious, but the Shelly character was just, every time he spoke. It's awful. I couldn't believe that they made, anyone made an executive decision decision to make this character a thing. And he Um, breaks the rules. He's a virgin and he dies. That's true. Um, So let's get into our final thoughts. um, Tell me, Josh. What are your final thoughts about this movie? And how- Man, how did we get here already? I guess you know, I, I, I have so much to say, and yet I have nothing to say at all. This is the movie of the Friday the 13th movies thus far, where I'm like, I have that pause, and I'm like, I've, I've made a huge mistake. Like, this is the... <laughs> Stealing like, the words right out of my mouth. I'm like, not- it's really, and I really want to, and it's, um, I'm, gla- I'm really glad you and I decided to do these two off episodes for this because I'll be, I'll be saying something else when we, when we talk about part, you know, the next part, but um, no, these I, are it, it's, it's, hard, to it's hard to believe that this is an actual movie. Like everything about the tropes of like 80, corny 80s slashers and why they were so popular. Like this is one of the, staples i think watching it now in 2020 and be like i get it like i get why this is was a thing like can you imagine like just going to the movies in 1982 and it's like okay what are we doing let's watch a a horror movie and like everything between the titles the music the acting 
And yet, what are you in it for? You're in for the blood and the kills. And like, it's the most exploitative, um, unnecessarily violent and outrageous and um, unnecessary. I mean, like, like funny in a unintentionally funny, um, like film. Like I, I, I just, I couldn't, I can't put it into words. Like I was sitting there shaking my head the multiple times around and I go, maybe I've led, maybe I've led Steven and I in a wrong direction, but I remember where these films go. Um, I was mortified watching this and yet like, I was like, all right, I get it. Like everything between, and this is why I was saying earlier, why the 3d is like effective because it's in 3d makes the terrible aspects that much more admirable. Like you're going to go for it. You're going to make a shitty horror movie that is aping what these first two movies already kind of did, like not great. And you're going to make it worse. Might as well, like just, just throw in the kitchen sink. You want to make honestly, it 3d. You're jumping on my final thoughts real here. Cause <laughs> honestly, you, I, you could take it away. Final I, thoughts. It's like, I appreciate this movie because oh, it course. seems it's so as out, though it's so outrageous. I appreciate this movie because it knows what it is. It feels like the creative team behind it literally washed their hands and said, fuck it. Let's just, they're giving us 3D cameras, lots of low angles. Fuck it. Let's have like, eyeballs popping out. Yeah. Like, and harpoon guns to the face. They understood that, like, these movies are going to sell if you have the 3D aspect. So, why do we need to make a story? And they're so unabashedly doing this that, like, I kind of appreciate their balls. I, it's exactly, that's exactly what I was trying to say just before. It's like, like Tommy, I, I, this movie, to me, I, I, I'm having hold hold on. You <laughs> can't you, you you can't you can't disrespect what they're doing because you can literally almost see the filmmakers behind the cameras being like, "Fuck it, have literally, him have him yo-yo into the screen for a few seconds before he gets killed." Have no no no. I'm sorry. You can scratch that. Have the the character walk on a handstand before having Jason give a machete to his nutsack, like, like, and then have blood splatter onto the screen from the over-the-head shot of the legs. Like, you can almost see them, like, laughing behind the camera. I mean, like, yo, this is going to be great. Like, the story I told about the mask, like, the dawning of the mask. Yeah. It's kitschy. It's interesting. But it's, if true, it's also emblematic of the movie as a whole you know instead of doing the work and putting the makeup on jason they decided to take a shortcut and put a flashy item on his face and said you know what it's good enough so but that's how what this, this whole movie, movie is to me this movie is almost <laughs> like watching the room if you're gonna get drunk or stoned and watch it with your friends at like two in the morning at college you're gonna yep. have a blast absolutely but that's what this movie is this movie is literally nothing more than that <laughs> you kind of can't give it any more credit than that it's simultaneously i think for me and here's and mind you we're three movies in for our audience but it's like it is, I think at this point, simultaneously both the best and worst Friday the 13th movie we've watched thus far. It's the most unabashed. Right, because it's like, you can see signs because the franchise only gets more ridiculous as it goes along. And for, I mean, well, next discussion will be interesting, but it's like, they are, these are early signs of like, you know what? These movies are silly, but we know, like you said, we know it sells. 
So let's just give into it. And this, and like you said, unabashed is a great word because like at the end, I'm thinking like, <laughs> she's watching and she, see, <laughs> and she sees mutant Jason watching from the window and she's watching from the lake. And I'm like, tell why me aren't some, you moving? Right. And I'm watching this. I'm like, why isn't she leaving? Why isn't she moving? I go, and then there's a pause and she's sitting in the lake. And I, 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 I swear the moment came to me and I go, cause I had forgotten the ending. And I go, tell me this bitch is going to get jumped by some dead character from the water. And sure enough, some zombified character drags her in it in slow motion. I'm like, you can't. That was Mrs. Voorhees. Of course. And I said, you can't they did a flip. be. I said, you can't be serious right now that this is, you're going to play this for a third time in a row. I made a note about this movie. This movie had the, from what my estimation thus far, granted we've only watched four of the movies, but thus mm-hmm. far, this movie had the slowest, like, reaction rate of any of them. Any of the characters that were hit, <laughs> there was the longest pause before any character reacted to anything. There was, like, a good 10-second pause between, like, a character falling to the floor and them, like, realizing they can get back up. So, I feel like this is a good spot to end our part three discussion. I completely, I completely agree. I think you put it best, just to, to give it a final note, I think you put it best saying that, like, if you found out Tommy Wiseau wrote the script or Tommy Wiseau was, like, behind this, like, you wouldn't be surprised. Like, it's it's just a couple touches away from the room in terms of being, like, a cult classic. It's just not that good where you want to pop it in all the time. You know what I mean? What a story, Josh. Jason is back. Three times before... Sorry to change your mind. You have felt the terror, known the madness, lived the horror. But this is the one you've been screaming for. Because Friday, April 13th, will be Jason's unlucky day. Friday the 13th, the final chapter, rated R. Now showing at a theater near you. You um, ready to take it away for um, Part four. Friday, the, Friday the 13th, the final chapter? <laughs> Parkour. Uh, yeah, the final chapter. The <laughs> final ass. chapter. So, this one was directed by Joseph Zito. So, brand new director. So, this movie, exactly like the last one, had a budget of $2.2 million. And the box office was $33 million. So, uh, still making money, but a little bit less than the last time when they decided to make this movie because of course they were going to make a final chapter. um, They told Zito that this was literally going to be it. This was the end. Jason is going to die in this movie and that's we're, we're laying him to bed. And that's how they wrote and developed this movie. So Zito, in return, wanted to make the kids more realistic. He wanted to bring in a really young kid. Uh, he wanted a dog. And he wanted twins, just to see how much he can get. And they gave him everything. Yeah. So, good for him. Uh, but apparently, uh, Corey, who ultimately got the part of the kid. Corey Feldman. Yeah, Feldman, yeah. Yeah. Who, uh, I don't know. But... I wanted to give a notable shout out to him for better or worse. Yeah. 
Um, you, I feel like you can't talk about this movie without talking about him. <laughs> Apparently, Zeta wanted Corey to actually shave his head, like at the end, mm-hmm. and Corey said no. So he had put on a bald cap, but the bald cap cut off the circulation from his head, and he got extremely sick because he had to wear the bald cap for two weeks. Oh my god! Uh, instead of bringing back Brooker for the last Jason, they decided, hey, we're going to get a new one because they wanted someone more stern and stoic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a lot of auditions and came to dead, uh, Ted White, who was, a, who was a Southern stuntman. They shot from Jan- October to January, 1983, 1984, in Topanga Canyon in Newhall, California for six weeks. So the actors had to perform uncomfortable or dangerous stunts in the movie. Uh, Jody uh, Arsenson uh, was required to remain submerged in highly freezing lake, which she later developed hypothermia for because of it. Oh my god. Apparently that only stopped because uh, Ted White intervened and said, I will not work. I, he, he threatened to quit if the actors and actresses could not come out of the freezing water between takes. So good on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Peter Barton was originally literally slammed against the wall of the, uh, what's it called? Um, the, uh, bathroom walls. Yeah, yeah, The yeah. shower wall. He like literally hit his head against it. According to White, Corey Feldman maintained a bratty attitude on set because of Zito's treatment. And while unconfirmed. Because of how Zito treated him? Yeah the way that Zito treated Corey. Uh, apparently, I don't have any proof of, this could all just be speculation, but apparently things were so contemptuous that it was later revealed that when Corey was hacking Jason's body, he mm. was imagining Zito but he, oh when God. he was hitting the sandbags. <laughs> Good grief. So, like I said, things were not always uh, great. Can I tell you a story of why Corey may not like him? You may tell me the story, Stephen. So you know the sequence when Jason crashes through the window, right? Yeah, yeah. So they, Zito told Corey that it was going to go one way. You step here, you step here. He's going to crash through the window and then get up and come after you. Uh, but what happens in the scene is Jason, uh, you know, Corey walks into the room. He takes a beat something crashes through the window. Originally, Corey was told that something was Jason, but it was not. So he's standing by the back window and Jason comes in through the other window and grabs Corey full force. That scene made it into the movie. Yes, but it is unrefined fear because that is real. Corey had no idea that uh, Ted White was coming through that window. Oh my God. Wow, that's wild. I mean, yeah. I guess it's effective. They got the shot they needed, but good. At what cost, I guess. Um, that's like arguably child abuse. That's next level. Wow, I did not know that. That's because yeah. I was going to say I made a note because towards the end of the film, the film did a lot of zigzags. I'll get into it, but film did a lot of zigzagging for me. I was like, oh, this is really good. And I was like, is it really? And I was like, oh, it's getting better. And I was like, oh, is it? And then towards the end, it kind of really started to pick up. And I was like, oh, okay. Now it seems like it knows what it's doing. Um, but that moment when he comes in and grabs him, I was like, okay, I'm feeling this. This is real. And I guess 
<laughs> I guess it's just because it was real. It's literally real. That's amazing. Um, my last note is that Savini came back for this one. I saw that. Um, Tom, uh, Tom Savini. Yeah, the makeup artist from the original Friday the 13th. Which is funny because out of, I guess we're desensitized when it comes to production value, like especially with CGI. I mean, CGI came later in our generation, but um, it's just funny because this was one of the, uh, Savini was in the first one, right? He wasn't around for the for two, two and three. Yep. Because this was the first time, I guess, since the part one, I had not genuinely like questioned the absurdity of the, the makeup and the prosthetics and the, and the gore because yeah, like both, both parts two and three, I'm like, there were multiple sequences where I'm like, this is absurd. Like it doesn't even look good. Dude. When Jason's um, face is literally going through the machete it is. Oh my God. So I'm, disgusting. And I made a note of that. It's awesome. incredible. It's a really incredible. I mean, my whole, I'm very nostalgic towards the eighties because it's like, they still had to use mostly production quality in ways that um, they wouldn't be able to do today. I mean, they would just use CGI. I mean, you look at like John Carpenter's The, the thing, thing, and it's like, it's I just like there's a, and yeah, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm predictable, but I mean, there's, there's a reason why production value, especially with gore and like, yeah, like even something faces, like Beetlejuice, you know? It, oh, it's um and it that's that why I appreciate the films for when they came out and this is one of them. Well, he came back because he said uh, that he felt like it was a Frankenstein's monster. He brought Jason to life, and now he was going to finish him because he was under the impression like, you know, this was the end. They told everyone that this was how this is it. This Jason's gone. That's uh, amazing. So you want to get into the plot of this one, Josh? Tell me. Um, tell I me all do. about it. I want to tell you all about it. A couple small notes. Oh, this film, this, this film was also released on Friday the 13th, 1984. At 58 years old, Ted White is the oldest stuntman and or actor to play Jason Voorhees. And the top trivia note is that at around 35 minutes, the strange dance in which Jimbo performs uh, at the party was contributed by actor Crispin Glover. Another shout out. Yeah, um, that dance was ridiculous. It was... Ba- I made a note of that dance. I was like, <laughs> literally, what the fuck is going on here? Apparently, that dance was based on the eccentric way that Glover actually danced in the clubs. On set, he was dancing to ACDC's Back in Black as the scene was filmed. However, in the actual film, uh, an edited version of Love is a Lie by Lion was dubbed into the scene. But Crispin Glover's dance is the most notable uh imdb trivia fact so yeah oh, uh, i, I have really one funny. more note as well yeah of course of um, course apparently the director zito said that he wanted to hold off as long as he could about jason with jason actually returning from the dead he wanted you to feel like you resurrected jason because of how much you want him to come back to life that's a very unique it's very funny because it's a very unique um set of words for like feelings towards a character uh, a character in a fictitious film from a director because watching this of course we know it's jason but like you don't see him and you don't see the hockey mask until at least past the halfway mark in the film but i digress you said please tell us about the plots well you are going to tell me about the plot uh yes so um 
you know, as we've said uh, previously was camp counselors and other teens, horny teens, this time also horny teens um, seem to be moving into a house on Camp Crystal Lake. I don't think, I think it was a vacation house. Like they were going for the weekend. Or they were staying. It was like an American Pie 2 situation. Like they're staying in a summer house. It's like an Airbnb situation before Airbnb. But they happen to be living across, the house happens to be across from another actual house where we follow a mother, an older daughter, and a younger boy child. That mother was very close with her children. It was very uncomfortable. It was very strange. We didn't if, get into I was that. getting like Voorhees vibes from her. I was like... Uh, this, I, I kind of thought was where they were going with it. It is kind of where they went with it because Corey literally became Jason <laughs> at the end. I mean, spoiler alert. But, um, yeah. So, horny teens go into the woods. They're on Camp Crystal Lake, although I think the lake is... Seldom mentioned is seldom uh, involved at all. I think what happened was Jason was brought to the morgue. He found the closest lake possible. You know, he's slow. He's not going to go walk all the way back to Crystal Lake. That's but, right because we're supposed to believe this is not Crystal Lake. Yeah, but he just film, found a lake. He was like, but, "Oh, good water, great oh, water. Home. This but is the, my home now." <laughs> but the film picks up exactly where Part Three leaves off. Um. You know, which gets us to where we are here. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, a bunch of horny teens move into an Airbnb. They live across from uh, another family. Jason kills every, just about everybody, uh, and then that's it. Um, really wonderful stuff. But please, Stephen, um, with all that said, let's dive into uh, our categories. categories. Tell me, what is your best kill? Again, I. F- this was a little tough, actually. Actually, I had multiple runner-ups for this. Um, I want to just give a quick shout-out. The projector kill was clever. Yeah. Uh, the flipping of the tape, and then he's behind in front of the projector and gets stabbed, and that was over it. And then the shadow impalement when Tina was running around in the rain. Very interesting because she gets impaled, and you just see a shadow of it. Uh, from a filmmaking perspective, I'm like, oh, that's creative. Again, I was kind of over it. Um, the as you had mentioned, Jason slipping down the machete after he gets stabbed by Tommy. Um, wasn't quite my Was best that a kill. kill. He's still alive. That doesn't right. count. I made a note of it. I did not make it my number one because I had a feeling you'd say that. So of course, um, my number one was actually the <laughs> crisp and clever corkscrew to the hand, machete to the face combo. Um, I couldn't not give it to that i wanted I to give it to other things crispin glover was in this movie too i was like what is happening which is really outrageous to think this is only a couple years before back to the future this was which one is, year before back to the future oh it released 84 back to the future was 85 geez um but to think that like you know he would kind of go on to make a name for himself and he's, he's in this kind of like cheesy slasher and he's getting a machete in the face a corkscrew to the hand um I, so, I had remembered that scene vividly, but that was my number one. My number one, I'm going to go with Rob. <laughs> because him and Trish run into the house to search around for Jason for God knows what reason. Mm-hmm. And Rob is literally in the basement searching uh-huh. every orifice oh, yeah, of yeah, the yeah, basement. Yeah. You're talking about at the end. At the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet when Trish comes in screaming his name because why be quiet 
they're in the basement together for like, I want to say a good five minutes and Rob does not find Jason. And somehow <laughs> I just don't understand how that happens. That is why he, it is my best kill because Jason is the best hide and seek player I've ever seen. I don't understand it. I don't understand how he goes from body to body so fast. But even then, in the basement, it's like he appears out of nowhere. And it's like, yo, dude, yo, homeboy, you would have thought that. I feel like all the footage we have of Jason was captured at a different frame rate. Because this guy has to be moving at, like, flash level speed. Has to be. There's no other explanation how he can get from the main floor to the upstairs, hiding in certain places, jumping out of certain places. It does not make sense. Um, So, let's go. My best chase is yes. the end chase uh, because there weren't many in this one either. Um, with Trish running through the houses, screaming at the top of her lungs. And that's right. You heard me correct. Houses. I wrote my note is why is she running through both houses? Literally running from she house does go through to two house. houses. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you going to two houses? Get out of there. Let's just leave. Um, I will say, if you're done, unless Go you for it. more, um, I will say that leads into an honorable mention I want to make, is that the reveal of all the dead bodies to Trish at the end, bravo for all these cheap kills, and then there's this grandiose moment where she's running from room to room and just seeing bodies displayed, hammered and hanging and everywhere. How does this motherfucker, Jason, how does he... I have think he the called time. in a favor from his friend Pinhead. He like, had to have to create all this decor, and he's got the bodies hanging. But I loved it. Like I, I mean, also I, at the same time, I'm questioning. I go, "There's no way if he had all, even if he had all the tools to be able to set up all these bodies displayed in time, but one by one, all the bodies are being displayed for dramatic effect, and it's kind of like, okay, we're building the finale." Um, Speedy Gonzalez over there. Unbelievable. Uh, there had to be multiple killers. I, tell there, me, what's your favorite? What's the best weapon? Well, hold on. Yes. I didn't get to my chase. Oh, sorry. Go no, for no, it. that was my that was my build to it. It's the honorable mention of all the dead characters. Um, the runner-up was Trish running from house to house. Um, <laughs> I had to make a note of this because the film never called attention to it otherwise. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Is the dog jumping through the window? I wrote a note of that. Did the dog commit suicide? Like, I. I have to believe the dog was being chased in order to jump through a window in slow motion. Maybe it's a cheap answer, but I'm like, you know what? Like, all of a sudden it cuts to this golden retriever. The glass is breaking. I actually rewound it. I go, this, I had to have missed something. So I rewound it a little earlier. It happened to and, me too. I literally rewound. I was like, she, did this dog just commit suicide? <laughs> she's calling, she's calling out the names. She's calling. And all of a sudden she's like, got, I don't know if she, she has a flashlight. She's driving, she, 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 she's walking. She's walking around and there's these dark rooms and she's calling out names and it just, it's a smash cut. It's not like it's a buildup because I'm expecting like a dead body of a person, like and she'd scream, like which would later happen. But also it just cuts to this dog, slow motion jumping out of a window, and it just cuts back to everything going on in the house. I'm like, I have no idea what's happening, but I have to imagine that dog's being chased. <laughs> oh man, good thing it wasn't in 3D, right? Um, good thing, but Jiminy so, Christmas. Your best weapon. Um, 
I didn't have another answer for this. My best weapon was the hacksaw to the neck that they used in the opening scene to the character Axel. Um, that's that a good one. Horrible, horrible that's, man. But he used that's hacksaw, my runner up. And then he does the twisting of the neck, and it's very violent and, and quick and gross, and it's it's done, and it's I I loved it. I was very effective for me. No, um, that's that a good one. Uh, I went with something you mentioned earlier, the corkscrew, because just I thought it was very inventive, very clever, very creative, very creative. Um, I, I thought it was very very clever. So the way that, that's that they built. The way that they built it up, too, it's like you knew it was coming. He's like, and Chris Glover's yelling. He's like, where's the corkscrew? I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, he's going to have the corkscrew. Because, like, I remember these movies' plots loosely, but, like, the details I don't really remember. So it's fun watching these again um, and seeing things that I had forgotten. And seeing, like, he's like, where's the corkscrew? And then you see the hand, the corkscrew to the hand. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that's great. That's a great And you know detail. he would have been safe if he didn't fuck that girl. Oh, oh no, uh, he wasn't a virgin at that point either. It didn't matter. He was dead either way. He was at least he got laid the, by the end. What was it, BJ Betty he was talking about? I mean, I know he was the... Yeah, BJ Betty. Um, I know this is going to be a segue into it, but he was the... Um, referred to as a dead fuck. He was the... Uh, yeah, we'll get to that later. Our worst character bit. So please tell me um, who uh, your who worst, worst character is. Okay, I'll character. tell you. I have... My runner-up is Paul. Because Paul is just a disgusting human being. He's literally nearly fucking. Un- like, he's the one who had the girlfriend. And it's like, you're literally fucking one of these twins in front of your girlfriend. I know you didn't uh, ultimately yeah. fuck her, but, like, you're a dick for even, like, doing that. You're surrounded by all her friends. And you're literally, like, on top of this other girl. It's like, your girlfriend is right there skinny dipping. Are you fucking kidding me? He's it's my runner up. The, my real answer is Axel. I think he's a real piece of shit. Um, he seems to be a doctor who gets off in the morgue, which I, I guess uh, this was a subtle nod to necromancing. Like, I, not necromancing, but uh, uh, necrophilia. necrophilia. I, okay. But then he's like, his jack-off material is exercise videos. Like, maybe this was an 80s thing, but I, it, I, I don't know. This guy was um, a real piece of shit. I, it's, that's my answer. It's really funny because my runner-up was Teddy for obvious reasons. Teddy, which I thought which was, was Teddy. The, the one who kept calling Crispin Glover a dead fuck. He's the one who actually right, had the right, teddy right. bear. It's very ironic that because what you were saying about the character, them wanting to make the characters more realistic is that he's the douchebag character who seems like he's a womanizer and he actually ends up not getting laid. Yeah, he's, he's the one the, watching uh, porn. He's the one with the projector. He's the yeah. one with the... So it's he's funny watching porn because, from like the 1920s, yeah. Right, so he's watching old black and white porn and it's, he's just, he keeps giggling and he's, I hated him so much and I, I got very excited when he died. But like at the same time, like Friday the 13th, like many horror movies, clearly sets up the trope of here's the asshole tomfoolery character who makes jokes who you hate and you will watch them die with pleasure you will have glee in watching their character be killed off so it's funny because he's taking shots at crispin glover about not getting laid crispin glover gets laid he's taking shots at other characters for not dancing with these other girls which they do and they all uh, end up in bedrooms together or wherever and like 
he ends up by himself. And so yeah. it's like this. So filmmakers were clearly self-aware. And so at the same time, like I kind of like couldn't give him the benefit of the doubt because he didn't take that character all the way in which other characters do. Like he was a dick, but like as much as I hated him, he didn't go full blown douchebag because he didn't follow that trope all the way. Good note to the writers. My number one was Axel. Yeah. Uh, he's only in the opening couple minutes, but he makes it's this note about the body, and he's like, "Oh yeah, she looked good," and they're like, "She looks good," and I don't remember what it was. And then the cop is like, "Oh, she looked good." He's like, "Oh well, yeah, it's all about your perspective. Like, and she still looks good. It's just about using your imagination." He's like, "Oh well, anyway, sign here." And I'm thinking, I, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but the character is immediately introduced as a creep, and then it gets <laughs> to the. Uh, like you said, the aerobics exercise uh, tape scene, which is funny because that opening scene, because it's like that's when the that's only within the first couple of minutes. I'm like, okay, this is the first time that the franchise is I feel like is getting a little self aware. Like here are their characters; they seem like they're they know who the asshole characters are. They're just gonna run with it and they're gonna kill them all violently, and that's exactly what happens. Uh, Let's go into quotes. Yes, what do you that'll, got segue for your favorite my, quote? that'll segue into my final category. So the quotes are Yeah, this one had a lot of quotes. Um I got a I got a couple here actually. So um <laughs> so a couple of them from the opening scene. Uh the nurse saying, Actually, you are the Super Bowl of self abuse. I don't know if I'm even sure what that means. I don't think um, they knew what it means either. She was like looking. She's like, Axel, are you here? It's like, hello. And then he like, you think it's the killer? And it pops up. It's the it's the classic fake out. And it's like a goofy character pranking the woman. She's like, don't scare me. And it's Axel. And she's like, but she drops that line. You're the Super Bowl of self, self-abuse. I've, I'm not really quite sure what that means. But I, I made it out of it. Um my runner up my runner that was my runner runner up my runner up is Corey feldman Corey feldman screaming die as he hacked jason over and over again at the end screaming die die you know uh i liked that a lot i thought it was very cheeky but going back to the nurse again is the opening scene i gotta go with where when the hand of the body touches her she screams and she says, you better get that sucker in the icebox. And um, he's, hey, I, I didn't write the next line, but he says, um, he's like, where are you going? And she says, like, I'm going insane is where I'm going or whatever. But that note, get the sucker in the icebox, is before the actual, like, punny line that she says. But I, I, made, I laughed and I was like, okay, this is clearly becoming a little more self-aware of its outrageous behavior. Yeah. Um, but that, those were mine, please. Uh, I have a couple. Audience. One of them is very tongue-in-cheek, just like you were saying. It was, um, again, the paramedic in the beginning when he said he got seven kids and three bikers. Sniffle, look at, he looks to the camera. This time they got him. What the fuck <laughs> are you talking about? They got him. I, 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 One I, I, person I, I, got away. You just listed he killed seven people <laughs> and three bikers. Like, <laughs> What are you talking about? They got him. Uh, another one I got was Axel when he got snatched by Jason because he yep. was literally shouting, holy Jesus, Christmas shit, shit. <laughs> like, Jesus Christmas. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah, I could, like, relate a little bit to that. He's, like, shouting, like, random obscenities. I'm like, yeah, this guy gets it. You know what I mean? It was just 
Chief Chimney Christmas, whatever. Yeah. Um, um, another one I got was Trish running through the houses screaming, Rob, Rob, he's here. He's here. <laughs> what are you doing? Literally, she, he, she went from the top floor to the basement shouting this throughout the house <laughs> that he is in. <laughs> you know he is here. You know he's doing? here. Why are you shouting? Uh, <laughs> but my real answer was the dead fuck thing because it was just too funny. It was just, calling, and they, they kept calling attention to it so many times. He literally asked the woman he just fucked, was I a dead fuck? Like, What kind of question? What kind of dialogue is that? What do you, like... How is someone like, what do you mean? I don't understand what that means. I, uh, everyone, it must have been an 80s thing because everyone seemed to know what it meant. And it's funny, and he's like... Um, and this is why I hated the character. And he's doing a whole computer bit. And he's like, oh, the computer says this. Oh, I didn't say it. The computer said it. Oh, and I'm my thinking God. The like, computer that clearly could not have worked in a car. It was terrible. And he's, um, he's, he kept calling attention to his goal. Oh, you're a dead fuck. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking like this. Homeboy, this isn't a thing. Like you said, like maybe it was in the 80s. I've never even heard that term before. And I'm thinking like, okay, like. You're drawing enough attention to it. You're clearly trying to make it stick. Good I think for you. trying to make it a character point where they're saying this character is just very self-conscious about his technique, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess that could bring us to final thoughts. I'll go um, first. Yeah, absolutely. Even though we, it was stupid, the dead fuck thing, it shows that this movie tried to at least give the characters in this movie character. Yeah. You know, if you remember in the movie Pulp Fiction, uh, the wolf says to someone, remember, just because you are a character doesn't mean you have character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a good line. I feel like that kind of played into this movie. Sure. Where I don't necessarily care for all these characters, but I felt bad when uh, that girlfriend went to the boat by herself like because her boyfriend was literally eye fucking another girl in the house like i kind of felt bad for her a little bit mm -hmm. like i didn't obviously mm -hmm. i don't care that she died but and why are you going skinny dipping in the middle of the night you're gonna get cold like you're gonna catch cold anyway that's just beside the point so i appreciate it for trying to give character and mm -hmm. the ending itself while obviously Jason does not die, I feel like it was a relatively good way to end things. Sure. And even, I mean, I haven't watched five or six yet, but I feel like it may have been better if they kind of went the direction that the writer set up in this one and made Corey Feldman the oh killer from now on. Because now it's inter it's relaying a message of like, to defeat a monster, you have to, like, become a monster. Absolutely. And, like, his monster, like, it's infectious. You know, hate is infectious. But I guess that they're going to just resurrect Jason. But um, I feel like they tried something deep, you know? And mm -hmm. it was a good callback to the first, no, to the uh, second movie. Yeah, when... Uh, the car I forget her name, was holding Mrs. Voorhees' head and was like, Jason, no, she, she was dressed, wearing she the sweater. She changed her hair. The sweater. 
Yep. She put on the sweater and was like, Jason, you've done good. You're a good boy. Listen to mother. So it was like a good, good callback. callback. And it was an interesting take. I just, again, I haven't seen the movies, but, you know, maybe it would have been good to end it here. Yeah. Anyway, I guess those are my final thoughts. Um, you you touch on a lot of things that I completely agree with, as you and I often do with our final thoughts. That's, um in terms of trying to do things in a more serious way and make things more effective in terms of what they're doing, it definitely works more than part three. Um, I found it very funny almost that in the opening scene, it, which is the best that they've done thus far in the franchise, where they do the recap and they show the campfire of like you oh, that night where Jason drowned, yada, yada, yada they actually set up backstory in a way that's effective. They're showing all the proper clips of the prior movies and they almost nix part three completely, which is really funny because it's almost like part three has become already like a bastard child of the franchise where it's like, Hey, listen, here are all these elements that are important, but this isn't important. Like, Hey, you know, as the, you know, Pamela Voorhees was killed and they say Jason saw him and it was his birthday. And she, and she, you know, she says, oh, it's his birthday, yada, yada, yada. He comes back, he killed these kids, he came back. Um, and it's just funny because, like, they really set it up like it's going to be the end. And they actually do, like, a good payoff. And, like, yeah, to that's care. What I was saying. Yeah. Right. And, like, to care about these characters, like, you're, you're saying, like, you don't actually care about them because you know that they're just plot devices. You don't actually care when they're killed but you still feel for them more because of their motives, which is something that was non-existent in part three. Uh, in part three, it's like, it, I couldn't fathom myself being attached to any of those characters. They were ridiculous, all of them. All of them. And there was no shred of character development to any of them. And so to watch the, the final chapter or whatever, they sprinkle this character development with the stuff with even, um, like you were saying, like with, um, you know, the dead fuck thing and whatever with, with um uh, and, and to watch Crispin Glover, he comes out with the panties. He's like, "Oh yeah, well, how about this? Like, he succeeded. Yada yada yada." Oh, okay, cool. Like, you got late, but then he still gets killed. Like, that's the rule of thumb, as Scream would later tell us. Um, yeah, and, and even the cold irony of like the what you were pointing out earlier—the mm-hmm. biggest asshole of them all ended up alone because he's just all talk and no you know results right you know, and so that's the, like a deeper character than anything that came in part three of course a long no, shot. exactly so it's like you could tell they were trying to go for bigger results in terms of whatever they were doing with characters and their storyline even if it at the end of the day it's still a, a, a silly slasher um and yet like they did the good callbacks mm-hmm. um especially at the end i made a note i was like this is literally the second time a character in disguise, a character disguises themselves as someone from Jason's past in order to trick him. And I'm thinking like, at first it's silly. And I'm like, I get what they're doing. And it's very similar. I don't know if you've seen the Halloween films, like the sequels, the Halloween no, sequels. I haven't seen past two. Well, I, I saw the 2018 it's, one, obviously. It's but. just funny. Right. But it's just funny that the first Friday the 13th film is known for aping the original Halloween. And this plot device with Corey Feldman and Jason is very, very similar to what Friday 13th, uh, sorry. What Halloween does. What Halloween part four does. But that's actually interesting because if I'm not mistaken, Halloween four was 
1988. Okay, so that's... So they copy them. What a twist. That's actually weird. Um, I won't spoil it completely, but Halloween 4 does a, is, features the character of Jamie Lloyd, which is, which is uh, Laurie Strode's niece. And the ending of Halloween 4 is very similar to Friday the 13th Part 4. So it's very funny that this, this actually came first. Interesting. Um, They're copying but, each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll talk about it whenever, whenever we get to Friday. We, uh, whenever, sorry, whenever we get to Halloween, the, whatever sequels, we can call back to this moment. But it's just funny. We'll because get the, there. Because that's the moment I thought of. I'm like, oh, you're trying to do something to bring it all full circle. Um and it's funny because like Corey Feldman was kind of like I I I've listened to, I listened to a podcast recently with Corey Feldman, like modern day, and he's talking about his filmography and he talked about Friday Thirteenth and how it was a big part of him because it, like it helped him get started. And I'm thinking like, what's Corey Feldman's role in this movie? For most of the movie, he's just a nobody, and then all of a sudden the ending, he steps up to this like he's very weird. I, he's a weird little kid. He has like weird just, masks and his playing games with a mat like with a alien mask on right like, and it's clearly it's and, and they're focusing enough on the kid that i knew that he was going to be important right because at first they they teased that he was going to be killed off they show him by himself and jason's in the room or whatever and he's calling out i'm like they're not going to kill off the kid without doing more with them no. so for them to give him the ending they did was kind of ballsy like i didn't necessarily buy into it but i wanted to make an honorable mention of cory feldman because like he kind of like gave it his all like i don't know if i really buy into it but also like he kind of just ran with it like you said the filmmakers wanted a child they wanted a young kid in the movie and they, they did it um good job it's a yeah but anyway overall i liked the decisions they made in terms of running with the elements that they thought worked i actually think they lack this movie lacks the absurdity that both parts two and three feature in terms of being like almost like the room or almost funny or almost in a way that like we were saying it's like some of you'd gather your friends around to smoke or drink and watch and it's funny because it puts in this weird middle ground because it's honestly one of the better of the friday 13th movies and yet it doesn't have that silly persona where you're like, yo, it's so ridiculous that you can't help but kind of laugh to it. Yeah, um, but it's, I mean, as we keep there's going, something it'll admirable. be interesting to keep, as we keep going, but I feel like that's the point where I'm at, like, philosophically. It's like, <laughs> do I like this movie more because it tried, or do I like it less because it tried? Because right. maybe it didn't really know what it was. Where, like, right. the third movie kind of, like, knew where the Friday the 13th series was going. Sure. But again, I haven't seen the rest of the movies yet. I'm I'm very curious to see your take on all of it because it only gets weirder and wackier from here. Yes. Well, uh, <laughs> that'll be coming soon. So, Josh, were you done with your final thoughts? Mm-hmm. Cool. Then tell me, what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week, um, I had decided this earlier today, my week, pick of the week is going to be Wes Craven's Scream 2. I figured you and I are in full-blown sequel territory now. We were last week talking about part one and two, but now that we're kind of diving into it, I figured Scream 2 is a good place to land. Um, this, the original Scream is one of my favorite horror movies ever made. It's self-awareness. It ties very well into all of these movies and the quote-unquote rules of the horror genre and how they 
apply in a very meta way. But Scream 2 I like because they lampoon their own twists and satire um, or their own satirical uh, behaviors that were explained in the first film. Like they kind of break their own rules and go by their own rules because it's a self-aware sequel. Um, a lot of the time horror sequels just don't work. Um, most of the time? Most of the time they don't work. And I scream to I love because it's like, it's almost like an attachment. It's almost like what I've talked about before about how a lot of stories feel like, hey, it's complete. But then you add this second part to it and you're like, okay, this is really the complete story. It's complete because of part two. And yeah. I feel like Scream 2 closes a door for me. Like I'm not a fan of Scream 3 or 4. So it's kind of like Scream 2 is like, okay, this is my ending. Like I can- I need to rewatch it. I haven't watched that in like 10 years. I would love to do, I mean, I've, you and I have talked about it off, off, off air, but it's like, I would love to do the Scream movies, but it's like, Scream 2 is, I think, a very effective sequel. I think that everything that it does, where it's like, establish all the rules in part one, so now it's kind of like, okay, now we're just going to run with it in part two, where it's like, we don't need to explain the rules as much, because now everyone knows, and so it can kind of have fun with itself. And yeah. it's got its own kooky twists, and a lot of references to Friday the 13th, a lot of references to other iconic horror movies and iconic horror sequels, and it makes it even more meta, but in a in an effective way. It doesn't feel silly or too self-aware. It's like just enough that you can believe it. Um, I love it. I think it's a very good horror sequel. So I'm, I don't know, talking sequels for Friday Thirteenth. That was my pick. But please tell the folks um, at home your pick. As as usual, our minds are like somewhere in the same realm. I was going to yeah. go with uh Wes Craven movie as well. And I'm sure you could guess what it is. Cause this guy has to be mentioned uh, during this podcast. It's inevitable. It was inevitable. So I'm stealing it before you do. I'm going to take nightmare on Elm street, 1984. My man, Freddie himself, Freddie Krueger watched. I, I haven't watched the sequels to this. I, I don't think I went past two on this one either, but you know, the original one before Freddy Krueger is a stand-up comedian. It's it's the best, you know. And truthfully, it is terrifying more so to me than like the average slasher because this is a man who can invade your dreams. In a lot of these movies, it's like there's a chase involved. And obviously in Friday, in Nightmare on Elm Street, there are chases involved, but the chases are almost inevitable because as a human being, you have to sleep. So it's not like, it. It's, it, it just adds that level of intensity. And the Johnny Depp sequence, his death sequence is fucking amazing. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it, uh, until that point, that was the most amount of fake blood ever used in a movie. When I that was do filmed. not doubt it. Um, Although they, I, I do doubt it. I feel like The Shining definitely had to use more. They, oh, you would think with the goddamn elevator. I mean, come on now. Um, I, I just remember reading that fact. I remember reading up until that point. I don't know about since it was nineteen eighty four. You said, yeah. I don't. Since that, since then, uh, I don't know. But at, at, up until that point, it was said it was the most amount of fake blood used in a movie. But it's a fucking tidal wave coming out of the elevator. You make a good point. I don't know. I would like to know. I would like. To <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I think that's a good place to end this episode of Who's Filmography. Is it anyway? I I agree. I I think that we've wrapped up a lot of. I think uh, if we keep going, Jason's gonna find us and uh, he's gonna kill us. Us the old... 
Uh, <laughs> as always, you could follow me on Instagram at Mr. Philmart. Uh, and as always, we will uh, promise a page up at some point. We will see you next time when we cover parts five and six. We're almost oh, halfway, there. Halfway, there. halfway there. Halfway there. Halfway there. Halfway there. Thank you.